Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 72 and is being recorded on October 4th, 2017. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Discovery Episode 3. Spoiler-filled episode, you've been warned. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Hey, Eric, how's it going this week? Hey, Aaron, uh, pretty good. I really can't complain. I made a giant meatball stuffed with spaghetti. It's a giant meatball. I made that last night for dinner, and it was quite delicious. I saw your Instagram post. It looked pretty good. Yeah, it was easy to make. It's basically just a big giant meatball, and you fill it with cheese and cook spaghetti and you put it in the oven for 40 minutes and it's good i might have to make that before watching a new star trek discovery it was, it was <laughs> that that good no no big bowl of blueberries for the watch of discovery no you know what i would do that if i was watching discovery in the morning that okay. sounds like a delicious morning snack or maybe blueberry pancakes to celebrate mm. you know that I think I think Saru might enjoy those. <laughs> I agree. Saru's a pretty awesome character so far. I, I really enjoy. I him. really liked his sick burn oh, from yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, that's who... he. He burned Burnham. So oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, uh, but we'll get into that because there is much to talk about with this latest episode. Indeed. So, won't we jump into the news? Uh, it's. Discovery news here. The season split. Uh, so Discovery's first season will now split after the first nine episodes instead of eight. So it's uh, divided into two chapters this season. Chapter one will, will conclude with episode nine on November 12th. And chapter two will pick up sometime in January. This is... Really awesome, because I'm glad that we're getting at least one more week of Discovery before the holiday break. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they could have done this for any episode, because every episode ends with like a dun-dun-dun, you know? So it doesn't need to be like a typical Star Trek season, like uh, TNG or Deep Space Nine, where they would have a specific middle point of the series, like a two-parter, and then that would break up the season or the season finale. You know what I mean? Right. So because now we're going with the serialized storyline way of storytelling, I think that they could have picked episode 10 or 11 or 6 or 5, and it would have been the same thing. Like it end on some kind of shocking moment or reveal where you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen? So, oh, right. and I love, I love that they do the previously on segments. Yeah, that was cool. That was pretty cool. Those are super cool. Yeah, I, I just think that 
episode 9 wasn't ready, and then all of a sudden, oh, we finished it, why don't we just release it? That could be. It, it definitely could be. Yeah. I mean, that's still, like, a little over a month away, so... Right. Yeah, but I, I can see that, because I heard that they just finished filming the last episode, I think, this week, I believe? Uh, maybe. I know last week's After Trek, they said that they were recording. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you got to have a little bit of time for the post-production, which I feel is what the winter break is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, I'm I fine so. with. Yeah, me too. Me too. You got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas. I don't have time to watch new Star Trek then. I could make the time if there was, but people are busy, so I, I can deal with a holiday break from Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, we've... I mean, we waited 12 years. Right. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's one more month, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess one month really isn't that bad. No, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Why don't we jump into Would You Buy It? And this continues our discovery talk, I guess. Would you buy this, Eric? Abso freaking lutely Yeah, I would too. And what are we talking about? The Star Trek Discovery Insignia Badges is available from ThinkGeek and QMX online. They sell for $14.99 each. And you can choose from Command, Medical, Operations, or Science Division. It features a unique split delta design with brush metal on the raised portion and a glossy finish on the opposite side. Ooh. Secures to your clothing with two short field magnets, and they are exact replicas of the uniform insignia from the TV series, with each design taken directly from the screen-used hero prop. So our guest co-host who couldn't be here, Eric Dewey, he thought that, yes, he is a yes on this, because even though it's ThinkGeek, QMX stuff has usually been good quality. Also, he really hopes that they make the black badge available. And I did see some rumblings on Twitter. Yes, they are in the process of making the black badge. That's cool. I'm sure they couldn't do it ahead of time just for spoilers. Right, that's that's total spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I also ho- hope that they make the cadet version available. Oh, that'd be cool. Because that's, that's another unique design that kind of plays off what we've seen in the future version of uh, TNG, uh, mm. that, that future version. But it's mm. got the black box around it. It's a very unique style which i hope that we get a prop replica of right these don't have rank on them right i was just gonna say i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because if they were to have the ranks you'd have you'd have so many variations yeah right and i don't know if they would want to stock all of those Mm -hmm. i do think that because a novos already has pre-orders for Discovery uniforms. Like, right. they're already up. Right. The show hasn't been out for three weeks, and they're already up. So I actually went on Anovos's, uh site, uh-huh. and the badges they are offering 
are the exact same ones from QMX. Okay. So there is no specific rank, I guess. One thing that they could do might be like a sticker that you could apply to it. I think that might look a little janky. <laughs> it would, but I mean, how else would they do it? Another way that they could do it would be to sell an accessory that would clip onto this over. But then I think you would lose a bit of the authenticness of it. Unless Maybe. it was just little pips, like tiny pips that were me- uh, magnetically could go on there. Mm. But that might be complicated. <laughs> yeah, I'd be worried that they would fall off as well. Oh, me too. Yeah. Here's a version. Maybe they shouldn't have put the pips on the badge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah. Maybe find a better way to represent Rake, just saying. Right. I mean, me and uh, Mr. Dewey... I heard all about it. Yeah. 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 So... <laughs> I even liked how Enterprise did it. It was still like pips, but at least it was on the chest and they were big enough that you could see them. Mm -hmm. These things are so tiny on the badge. It's like you can't look across the room and say, are you an ensign? I can't. What? Right. Who are you? (laughs) And I I think sleeve braids would look wonderful on this uniform. And it would be a nice tie back to the original series. Right. I... I don't know why they didn't do it. I, I know they did it to be unique, but uh, I don't know. Okay, that's that's just super nitpicky. Yeah. Let's get into the episode for Star Trek Discovery Episode 3. Oh, I do want to say one thing about the episode names. I love them so far. So why haven't we said it? Or have it in the show notes? <laughs> I don't know. But it was context... Uh, context is for kings. Context is for kings, and Lorca does. He even says it in the episode. Yeah, I, I don't like that. <laughs> you don't like it when they uh, say it. I mean, sometimes it's good if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I could get if they're if they don't have these named, and then they finish the script, and you know, oh, you know what's that? A good line for an episode? That one. So, what's it gonna be when it's like? Oh, the lambs to the slaughter and the thingy something or other. That, like, super long title. I can totally see Lorca saying it, like, right before he, like, oh, opens the up but- the, fa- the butcher, The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. <laughs> and let's slip the dogs of war. Like, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I can totally see him saying it. I'm just saying. Maybe, but I hope this doesn't happen every time. But we did have the episode name of season, or of episode two, Battle of the Binary Stars. Saru said it in this new episode. That's true. Yep. So it's like, I have no idea how they're going to do that butcher's line unless it's some great Lorca quote, but I don't know. I feel that's pushing it. Sometimes it's clever when shows do it. I'm like, ah, I see what you're saying, but other times it would be annoying. If they did it for every episode, I would be annoyed. Like, come on guys, really? So, but what if it wasn't the name of the episode and he said it, that'd be, I mean, that'd be okay. Right. What if he said in the next episode, like, Sarudi? <laughs> Yeah, that'd be all right, right? I I don't know. I don't. 
Okay. Uh, so overall, what what did you think of this episode? So I I like that this was a little bit more of a traditional type of Star Trek pilot. It really introduced us to most of the characters, introduced us to the series namesake ship. Uh, we started to get a little bit of the mystery as to what's going on. The writers were definitely correct. The producers and writers were correct that the first two episodes really did serve as a prologue almost to Burnham's story and where we're at. And I feel like maybe that what they filmed, because remember the order, the episode order was increased from 13 to 15. So I have a feeling that we were supposed to get contexts for Kings as the first episode, but I feel like they were maybe going to do flashbacks uh, from footage from the first two episodes throughout the season kind of a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe they dropped that idea and was like, okay, let's just get her backstory out here so we can focus on the mystery that we've developed for the rest of the season. Because I get where they're going. There's still room for flashbacks. You know, we can Mm -hmm. still have her flashback to Sarek and Amanda, that kind of a thing. Right. And we can still have her flashback to previous missions on the Shenzhou because... I would hate to think that that's all we see of Captain Georgiou and Michelle Yeoh because she is such a phenomenal actress to kill her off in the first two episodes. You know what I mean? Right. And I would love it if they also did like a dual flashback, maybe even on the Klingon side as well, through Laurel's eyes, maybe why she joined Takumva. And that's maybe a chance for us to see more of him. Okay. And his plan. So I have a feeling that we may get some kind of dual flashback thing. Other shows have done this. Uh, A big show that's done it for every season is Arrow. And I don't know if you've watched Arrow. I haven't. Yeah, ever since the first season, he was on an island for five years. And every season they show a flashback story from his time on the island or away from the city throughout the seasons. And now that obviously it's in season six, they've broken away from the island flashbacks and they're going to do something a bit different. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a feeling because there's so much we don't, we still don't know about Burnham and her time with Sarek and, and Amanda and Spock. And we're getting like name drops here and there. But overall, I thought this was a good episode in that more traditional pilot sense. Mm-hmm. We, there's still a couple main characters that we haven't been introduced yet. I know there, there's that one uh, lieutenant that we haven't seen yet. I forget the actor's name, but, but we haven't seen his character yet. Okay. And uh, we've seen him in the trailer, so we know he's coming up. And also, one one more thing... Um, This was definitely a different tone for Star Trek. Uh, We've seen scary and horror-type stuff in Star Trek before, but nothing to this degree. Right. There was, you know, a level of, of violence in terms of the gore we saw of the Glenn's crew members. 
And one of the interesting things I saw in After Trek was that they got the same makeup or visual effects guy or or someone that also worked on the Hellraiser movies. So, of course, these are going to be like Cronenberg-esque, like weird, crazy things, you know? Yeah. And it was really gruesome for a Star Trek episode, but it really shows the dark nature that this show is willing to go. And it kind of reminded me, and I don't know if this popped in your head when you watched the episode, but there was one part uh, in Enterprise when Saval described a Vulcan expedition into the Delphic Expanse. Mm -hmm. And he explained to Captain Archer that they were still alive, but they were anatomically inverted. Basically, they were inside out, yet still alive. And seeing how twisted the Glenn's crew members were, it that was the first thing I thought of when when I saw that, was I flashed back to what Saval said. And I'm like, while Enterprise could say it, it seems like Discovery can take the chance and show it. Right. And to me, that's more that's more terrifying to me from a story standpoint because we've seen the effects now of what happens if this spore drive goes way out of hand. Right. So overall, I thought it was a very dark episode, but I thought it was well done. Right. I I agree with you there totally. I also thought it was very dark with some bright points from one of the main characters that were introduced in this episode, which we'll talk about later on. Some of the the plot points kind of reminded me of war and battle episodes of other tracks, like Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. You didn't really get that dark in Next Generation. Right. But yeah, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, they dealt with larger conflicts and battles against species and it does feel like discovery is taking on that role Mm -hmm. they're continuing that type of storyline and some people may say it's dark and star trek isn't supposed to be this dark what about the vision and the optimism but i think this is a perfect chance to show how we can rise above Mm -hmm. and overcome these challenges right and there's so many moral dilemmas when you have a captain like Lorca. And, I mean, we'll get into it, but but that's how I feel. Like, this is the type of drama that modern television tackles. And I know Roddenberry had this rule, no one argues with each other, and, you know, everyone's in line and this and that. But without conflict, you don't have an engaging story. And the sometimes the only way to get conflict in previous Star Treks was someone was either possessed or they were a hologram or possessed by an alien or influenced in some way. And then you can do that reset where, okay, everything's back again. But to me, discovery feels more real Mm -hmm. from a conflict standpoint. It's more realistic People are going to have arguments. People aren't going to get along with each other. Yes, you have an enlightened civilization like the United Federation of Planets, and Burnham was willing to 
sacrifice her commission to preserve the Federation by ending a war. So she was willing to live and die by her principles in Starfleet and the Federation of Planets because she knows how important that is. So, yeah, we can still have conflicts and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, as long as you're not murdering someone or committing an atrocious act, I think it's realistic that even in the 24th century, we're going to have disagreements. You're not going to be happy with your roommate. It's going to happen. That's just human nature. And I think Star Trek is always about the human nature, and to deny that we're always going to be positive and optimistic and no conflicts it's kind of unrealistic yes it's that utopia that we want to strive for and sure i i would think eliminating war and the need for money and food because that's what a lot of conflicts start over is money and resources and if we have a, a society where everything is basically given to us and we don't have to work we can work to better ourselves, then, yeah, I believe a lot of crime and, and all that would go away because why would you need to steal anything if you could replicate it or if you could get it free? You know what I mean? Right. What, what need would there be for that kind of crime? So, wow, we're getting into really deep stuff here. <laughs> but but I just feel like there's there's people who complain that this might be too dark, but I counter that with this is just Discovery being more realistic from a modern storytelling standpoint, and that's what we need right now. No, I totally. Otherwise, agree. otherwise Star Trek becomes irrelevant. Like if right. if you're not following the trends of modern television, but telling your own story, you're going to fall behind. Because yes, TNG is great television. D Space Nine is great television. And they were great for the times that they're in. And they're those classic episodes that we'll always keep revisiting because we're fans. But at the same time, if you want to catch that wider audience, if you want to evolve for the next people, the next generation, pun not intended, but you're going to have to adapt to modern storytelling. And that's you know, structured, serialized formats where filler episodes are not going to be the majority of your season because they're telling a tight story in 15 episodes. And for me, I'm interested in the journey. I'm, I want to know these mysteries. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. And Eric Dewey, I think he would agree with you too. He says about this episode, he absolutely loved it. Great continued development of Michael's character and some new awesome characters introduced. Good use of light humor, such as the shushing Klingon, without it ever feeling forced or over the top. Great build-up for the mystery that is the USS Discovery, and he cannot wait for the next episode. Oh my god, that shushing Klingon <laughs> was hilarious no it was it because was. <laughs> because obviously he was being hunted too and she's making all this noise and he just goes shh and then you've got commander landry saying did that klingon just shush you <laughs> like it's so it was 
it was funny without being like some of the slapsticky humor we've seen in Star Trek when they do like a comedy episode, quote unquote. Right. It yeah. was natural. And mm-hmm. it was just such a striking visual because you see the big shadow this Klingon and I even went, oh, shoot, like that's a Klingon. What is he going to do? And then he he shushes them. Right. And I, ju- I was just like, what? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and then automatically he gets in by that monster or whatever. But, right. oh, it's great. One thing that I, I don't think we have anywhere in the notes, but I want to bring up really quick. So the shuttle goes over there to the Glen because the Glen had an accident. Yeah. And, and gets destroyed, basically. And the Klingons board it. What happened to the Klingon ship? Oh, good point. <laughs> yeah, why would they just leave their crew there to get oh. murdered by this beast? What if, what if, I, I know this is dumb, but what if the entire crew beamed over <laughs> okay. and there was no one left to beam back? So there's just a cloaked ship in that vicinity. Uh. Just kind of chilling. I don't know. Okay. Maybe a close ship. Or maybe they were so confident that they were going to take over the Glen that their ship was just kind of like, all right, peace. Drive back on the Glen when you come back in the Klingon space. You know what I mean? Because I feel that would be like a challenge for whatever boarding party. Like, they just kind of leave them to do their thing. And, like, that's a test of battle if you guys can capture this ship. Otherwise, you all die anyway. Right. I don't know. I don't know. But that is a very good point. Where the hell's the Klingon ship? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just struck me. I was able to watch it again before we recorded today. And yeah. I was like, man, why are the Klingons just there by themselves with no <laughs> ship? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe we'll get that question answered in a future episode. Maybe. I I think they just hope people kind of glossed over it. (laughs) (laughs) But not nerds like us. (laughs) No, not at all. So, speaking of the shuttle, what did you think of the shuttle design? So, first off, I thought the design was really sharp. Mm -hmm. And I I really like, overall, I really like the design. So, the the ship still felt dirty. Uh, the shuttles felt dirty. They still felt, like, rough. Like, the technology felt rough. As compared to, if you look at the shuttle from the original series, the paneling's really smooth. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's, like, nice and sleek. And it felt a, a little bit more advanced. But here, it's like, it feels like there's some open conduits and, like, panels that aren't fully on. And that could have, that kind of thing. It could have been the one shuttle that we've seen, which was the prison transport. But even the Discovery shuttles looked a little older or not as polished. I really loved the docking ring port on the back of the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Because that made it felt like the motion picture shuttle style when they dock to the Enterprise, like in the movies. Mm -hmm. So I really like that there was that because on the close-ups of the Discovery, you see that there's a similar docking port near the bridge. Oh, okay. So 
I, I really like that little detail. It still felt very Star Trek-y to me. But continuity-wise, this is now the earliest in the Starfleet timeline that we have seen a warp-capable shuttle. Right. And personally, I've never liked shuttles with warp capability. Right. Because I feel like, for me, it's like, well, if you're sending a shuttle on the warp, why couldn't you just take the whole ship there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. There was no reason that the Discovery couldn't have gone to the Glen, because they eventually did anyway to destroy it. Right. The only reason I can assume that they sent a shuttle in like that was, tactically, they didn't want to expose the Discovery to the Klingons. Mm, yeah, good point. So that's the only reason I think that they took a shuttle was to do it tactically. Like, send in a strike team, get in, get out, don't alert the Klingons to the presence of where the Discovery is. Right. Because they, they really had no idea what they were walking into. They had no idea that Klingons would be there. But they knew that they were close to the Klingon conflict and the front line. Right. So I just think Lorca didn't want to risk exposing the Discovery if he had to. Why risk the ship? Exactly. Yeah. But what did you think of the shuttles? I thought the shuttle was very cool. Uh, very cool looking. Probably one of the coolest shuttle designs that we've seen. I'm still partial to the uh, speedboat ones in Voyager. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Oh, uh, no. No, 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 Eric. I, I don't like the Voyager ones. Um, Those are super sleek. They were sleek. <laughs> I just didn't care for them. I thought... The ones from the Enterprise E were very cool. Oh yes, th those were very nice. Yeah, uh, uh, I also I also love the Delta Flyer. The Delta Flyer is like my top shuttle design ever. The Delta Flyer is cool, and I don't know if Tom Paris wanted to paint the shuttle red, but these shuttles had a very cool red pattern to them. I I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and maybe this is only one type of shuttle that's on the Discovery. Maybe there's a couple other types. Mm. And maybe this was more of like a tactical shuttle. I could see that. Yeah, I think the prison transport was also red. So maybe warp-capable ships are red? I, I don't know, but maybe. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, I liked that the shuttle retained a fairly open interior layout. That kind of reminded me of the original series shuttles. Oh, right, where they had the chairs, like, against the walls, and yeah. it was still fairly open. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I thought that was cool. Overall, I, I really liked the, the design of the shuttle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, minus the warp capability, but I don't like warp <laughs> capability in any shuttle. Okay, um, no, that's a fair point. Yeah. So next, why don't we talk about Commander Landry? Yes, Commander Landry. At the end of the episode, she... Totally has, like, she's totally involved with Lorca. Uh, she definitely likes him. Oh, no. <laughs> I think they're doing it. Oh, you do? Like, I think they're, yeah, I think they're in a relationship. Because she was just like, oh, anything, anytime, <laughs> Captain. And right. I don't think she was just meant, like, going on a mission. Mm -hmm. I think she meant, yeah, you can do me whenever. <laughs> like, that's, and I think Lorca has enough of that swagger where he would do that to to get something 
in his favor. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But yeah, I thought she was, she's definitely a hard ass. Right. Yeah. I thought she Uh, was very condescending, at least to the prisoners. Yeah. Which is to me, that was a little bit on Starfleet. Like, okay, we get it. They did some pretty crappy stuff, but she called them garbage. Yeah. And, Oh, we got to let the rats eat kind of a thing. And I was like, okay, calm down. Yeah. And she stopped the security officer from the prisoners trying to kill Burnham. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, that was a little bit overstepping it. But as a security officer, she's definitely one of the harder ones that we've seen on Star Trek. Yeah. She definitely seems like a capable officer. And it was interesting in the scene on the shuttle where she's just kind of sitting back and listening to Burnham and Stemmons, just like listening to them talk. I feel like she might be, I mean, officers report to their superior officers anyway, but I feel like she might kind of be a spy for Lorca. Not not that we would need that on a Starfleet ship, mm-hmm. but I feel that she definitely has her ears on the ground for Lorca. Right. And she would definitely sit back and let the drama unfold and report back to him. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with what happened with that one of the last few scenes of this episode where she was talking to Lorca, they secured the creature... And I I think she definitely debriefed him on everything that went down. Yeah. So, yeah, she is really part of his eyes and ears on on the ship with the other crew. Because, you know, sometimes people can't really approach the captain Mm -hmm. or they feel like they can't talk to him about everything. But Commander Landry, you know, people start talking and... She just sat back, and we saw shots of her just listening. And I thought it was good to establish what we're talking about, is that, yeah, she's she's Lorca's ear, ears and eyes on the ship. Absolutely. Yeah. I dig the character. I, I think it's a cool character. Yeah. And Eric Dewey says that he loved the way she watched Michael kick the other prisoners' butts without breaking a sweat, then told Michael that Vulcans should stick to logic. It makes him very excited to see her fight Hannah Hannah at some point. Yeah, and speaking of of Landry commenting on uh, Michael's fighting, Michael said Susmana, which was named an Enterprise, that was the uh, Vulcan martial arts that T'Pol taught the miners in the episode Marauders, which also dealt with Klingons. Oh. And in After Trek, they mentioned Enterprise Marauders as one of the episodes to watch as kind of connected to this. And it's because mm. in that episode, we saw T'Pol teaching Susmana, and that was named in the episode. So when I heard that, I did a fist pump when I was watching it. And, you know, Teresa's looking at me like, because <laughs> she doesn't get it. And and right. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, reference. I'm like, yeah, enterprise reference. Booyah. And <laughs> so I thought that was great. And I did like her fighting style because throwing the tray into 
the abdomen of the one attacker. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was a very logical fighting style, and which you would hope from Vulcans right. that they would use anything around them to fight and to make as less moves as possible. So I thought that was a brilliant use of, of fighting style, and I thought it was very good. But yeah, it would be interesting to see if Landry and Burnham get in a hand-to-hand fight. That'd be crazy. Yeah, it would. Moving on to our next point here, the Black Delta Shield. Eric. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're going to say Section 31 but for right now, I refuse to call it Section 31 until we know more. I respect your beliefs. Section 31, <laughs> for the most part, they're totally undercover, and they don't work with Starfleet. They're not part of Starfleet. They're not... I mean, Starfleet people may work for them, or they may have people infiltrate Starfleet, but they are completely and separately too different very different organizations (laughs) the section 31 is not a part of starfleet because they're doing things that are in their mind protecting the federation and they'll use any means necessary and i know that's what that's what Lorca's doing Uh but he was under a directive from starfleet to use any means necessary that's different than, and but, we don't know, Starfleet may have said, hey, you know, use whatever resources, and maybe he's taking it to that next level, and he may be, maybe he is part of Section 31, but we don't know. Right. I would like to counter really quickly. I think Admiral Ross in Deep Space Nine pretty much gave a directive to Cisco that came from Section 31. So I think higher-ups might be in cahoots with Section 31. I think it's, you know... It could be. It's mingled so much, because you have higher-ups that are Starfleet officers, but they're also or, in Section 31. Or they're Admiral A-holes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, my point is, in dealing with this Black Delta Shield, is that Section 31 is not going to advertise themselves on a uh, badge. That's true. That's very true. That's all I'm saying. So we can look to other canon resources inside Starfleet. It could be Starfleet intelligence. Mm -hmm. It could be some type of black ops, which was authorized by Starfleet. Or because we only saw the black badges on security officers that were posted by doors, like high security areas. And that could be Starfleet Marines. Right. So I was looking... I, I couldn't see it in the episode. I was looking for the brass color anywhere else on the uniform to indicate the support division. And I, I didn't see it. Uh, so what were the black badge guys wearing? I Well, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't see the uh, piping around the shoulders, and I didn't see anything on the pants. So if they have such a plain uniform and they are wearing the armor to me that even makes it more likely that it's either a starfleet black ops Mm -hmm. or they are just marines that are posted 
for extra security in these very top secret locations. See, I, the only reason why I don't think it's Marines is because the prisoners didn't recognize the badge at all. I think maybe if it was more of a, a special operations or black ops, like you said, something that isn't widely known, that makes more sense than Marines to me. Okay, and I can see that. And, I mean, black, black ops, yeah. Yeah. And Starfleet Intelligence, they may, unless you're on a ship, I don't think a lowly prisoner that's been away for 25 years is going to be up to date on what the badges styles represent. You know what I mean? That's true. And we also, we have Burnham that's wearing a black badge, too. I don't... Was she wearing a black badge? Yeah, the badge on her prison jumpsuit was black, but it was, um... It, it was, was like a matte color. Yeah, it was not glossy like the other badges. It was a matte finish. Yeah. So I just think, because she had a different uniform than the other prisoners, and yeah. I think yeah. it's just, look, this is a Starfleet prisoner. This yeah. is someone who is a disgraced officer. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I would think that they would have that displayed is that you know that other people would know, look, this person has Starfleet training but they've been disgraced and kicked out of the commission and they're a prisoner. So they may be more likely to be more resourceful and or dangerous than a regular prisoner. Mm. That's, that's a way to look at it too. Perhaps. Yeah. So very, very interesting. Also, not that it is section 31, but from what we saw from into darkness, we know that section 31 would employ be employed to create weapons to use against the Klingons. And but Starfleet didn't employ them. They took that upon themselves to do that. It just so happened that an admiral, that Admiral, what's his face? Admiral Marcus right. was in cahoots with them. See, I really hope we see Admiral Marcus in Star Trek discovery. Because I feel like that would tie so many things together. In right. the alternate reality, the Kelvin universe, he wants to start a war with the Klingons. And then in the Prime universe, we're in a war with the Klingons. So I feel That's like... That's interesting. I feel like he'd be all about this. And it would be great because then you could confirm that this isn't the JJ timeline. You could still say it's the prime timeline, but that's just Admiral Marcus. And that would be a nice Easter egg for fans of, well, not fans of In the Darkness. That was trash. <laughs> no, when you first, but, when we first saw it, we thought it was an okay movie, but then we let it sit And then sit you kept while. watching it, and then you're like, huh, okay, uh, Magic Triple Blood, fine. Um, <laughs> triple Blood? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. I forgot <laughs> Yep, sticking in the triple. Um, <laughs> hey, we did see a triple on Lorca's desk. Yeah, we did. And there was a dissected triple in Lorca's menagerie. Mm. Because on After Trek, they showed close-ups of the of the menagerie. But we'll get to that. Yes. So Eric Dewey said about the blank badges. He said there's a lot of speculation about the blank badges. Most, and my first thought or Section 31. However, there are many reasons that it wouldn't be, most notably that Section 31 isn't part of Starfleet. I'm sure it'll probably tie into the black alert coding of the ship's 
primary experiment, the spore drive. I would agree with that. Yes. So next up, I wanted to talk about Cadet Tilly. Yes. So I thought she was a very, like, cute character. Like Um, bubbly. Yeah, she was bubbly. She was eccentric. She had her foils, you know. She had her hang-ups. But, and and plus, I, I think the actress is cute. She's just like a cute, like bubbly personality. And I feel that this is the type of person, this, this is the optimistic person that we expect in the Federation. Right. This is the type of boundless optimism that we would see from a Federation member. It almost kind of parallel, I don't know if it will parallel but it reminds me of Nog's character when he joins Starfleet and then how things end up turning for the worse later on. Yes. And I know there's a lot of her being like bubbly and, and nervous and all of this, but when she was on the ship, she was the first person to spot the Klingon. Mm -hmm. And she instantly went, I mean, she was all business. Once they got on the Glen, she was all business and focused on the job. So we know that her personality is not going to get in the way of the work that she needs to do. Her personality is not going to be a hindrance, unlike someone like, say, Lieutenant Barkley from Next Generation. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So something that was mentioned in After Trek was they said that the moment that she is the first to spot the Klingon... That's the moment so the audience knows that she means business and you can take her seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, Captain Lorca saw something special in her. And when she was on the shuttle, she was talking about how she was very advanced in her studies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was the best such and such. I, f- I forget exactly what it was. But we know that Lorca is picking the best and the brightest to accomplish this mission, even if that means taking someone out of Starfleet Academy on their last year and putting them on the ship. So it's it's very interesting. And I think making her the roommate to Burnham, to Michael, yeah. is a perfect foil to counter Michael's light edge. Right. So it's it's to provide that humor, it's to provide that connection to Michael where she can see the optimism and maybe come back from her depression because on the shuttle Michael was ready to die. Right. Like she was so Vulcan and reserved and it's like she accepted her fate. Everyone else on that shuttle was panicking, ready to get out, but there was just this mask of serenity that was on her face like all right this is the end for me i've accepted it Mm -hmm. so i think much like captain georgio broke her out of that vulcan tendency i think that cadet tilly is going to be that to get her out of this funk that she's in okay and we saw her line up a bit we saw michael lose some of that edge because she revealed a personal detail about her childhood where when you first met her, 
when she first met Tilly, she wanted nothing to do with Tilly. Right. And she even said on the shuttle, she's like, look, I'm not going to be here long enough to make friends. But that means in any other circumstance, she would try to make friends with Tilly. Mm -hmm. And I feel the end of that, the episode when they connected was perfect. Cause I thought, okay, Michael's opening up a bit. Tilly's learning something. And we learn a lot about Tilly, uh, Sylvia Tilly in that too. We learn that she wants to be a captain. Right. Despite everything, despite her allergies, despite her eccentric personality, after all that, she wants to be a Starfleet captain and hold up the ideals of Starfleet. And I think that's very inspirational. And to me, she's one of the breakout characters in this show. I definitely agree. I mean, my only point for this character here is that she was definitely a a breath of fresh air in the episode. You needed her to break up the the serious tone of the episode. Which was, without her, would have been constant. Yeah. It would have been people arguing and people arguing and people arguing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she definitely toned back the episode and... And, and cut the edge off some of the darkness. So I totally agree. Yeah. And Eric Dewey says that he is sure Tilly will end up being a fan favorite. And I'm sure we'll learn what special thing she has that made Lorca pick her. I imagine we'll see her grow and change more as a character than many of the others. I, I agree that. I agree with that. I think her arc will be... Uh, very significant to the show. I, I agree. Now, moving on to the some of the technology in the episode, what do you think of the, the breath print ID? I think it's pretty stupid. Uh, yep, agree. <laughs> <laughs> to be blunt, um, I, I don't see how that metric would be one that you would pick out of everything else yeah. that you could use. It's it seems way less secure than other security measures we've seen in Starfleet. Right. Even Admiral Kirk used a retina scan in the Wrath of Khan to access top secret information. And what about voice print or special access codes or literally anything else that we've seen in Star Trek? Right. <laughs> a, a freaking breath print. It was so weird. I didn't even realize that people had different breath prints. The only thing I can assume is that when you're breathing, there's like little particles of saliva, which mm -hmm. contain your DNA like a mouth swamp. I suppose. So I, I think on some level it's DNA based. Okay. Um, it, it would have to be mm -hmm. because I could have a freaking burrito and my <laughs> breath is going to change. Or if I don't brush my teeth, my breath is going to change. Or, I mean, our teeth aren't, our breath isn't the same. You know, our mouth chemistry, I would think, is changing constantly. Right. So I think partially it's DNA-based because of the saliva or breathing on, but I don't know. It would have to be super sensitive, which would be highly advanced, but I think you could definitely do a retina scan. And the only reason I can see that they did this breath scan was so that they could make it very easy for Burnham to break in. Right. But at the same time, Lorca knew that she broke in. Right. And So I mean, again, was that another test? Right. 
And when she goes in there, I mean, there's someone else in the room with her in in that little, I guess it's, is it engineering? I have no idea. I was confused about that too, because I didn't know if it was an, an engineering lab or if it was engineering itself. And we saw, I mean, obviously they reused both sets for the Glenn and the Discovery. And it looks kind of like a warp core thing in the background, like right. that red glowing area that's you know, horizontal. Mm-hmm. So, but we didn't see a traditional warp core. So I don't know if we're seeing like the other side of the warp core or what, like, so I don't know if this is an engineering lab or actually engineering. Right. I'm pretty sure I read that they were in the engineering set. If this is it, they were going to call back to the engineering piece on the original series where you didn't which, see... Which the back very much looks like what they did in the original series. If there was a wall and you saw a core with the tubes in the background. Yeah. That was very reminiscent here. And I instantly recognized that that was the aesthetic that they were going for. But, but then, to me, also it's like... And we'll talk about Paul in a bit, yeah. uh, Paul Stamets. But... Like, he's science, but is he also the chief engineer? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So this this can't be engineering. He's definitely not the engineer of the ship. I no. don't think. No, but that, that, so then that goes back to my point that maybe this is just the other side of the warp core on the ship. Yeah. I'll go with that. Okay. I'll go with that. But this breath print crap, it's, it's very weak sauce. <laughs> right. Eric Dewey says it should be more secure than it was. We agree. Uh, however, it was obviously meant to be a way to show Michael's smarts and figuring out a way to get around it. Yeah, and I agree with that because not everyone is going to wait around for someone to sleep to collect their drool. And not everyone drools. Right. right. And it's not like you can breathe into, like, have someone, oh, hey, why don't you breathe into this uh container right for no reason so it's secure in a way but i think it was a little bit too convenient that you got someone like tilly who snores as her bunkmate right again it could all be orchestrated by Lorca. we don't know yeah oh and, and one point i wanted to make uh, that i forgot i was trying to make there was someone in that room with her when she first walks in and then she goes over and does that, and the computer says, identified, cadet, blah, 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 Tilly, out loud. It was, And then she walks in. I mean, unless that guy that was sitting there has no idea what Tilly looks like or just wasn't paying attention, that kind of worries me. It was, there was a couple quick shots. I took it as, because obviously she got that spray thing, it seemed like she got it from another area of the ship mm. and then mm-hmm. went to engineering. Maybe engineering okay. was off hours or that lab was closed down. So I think that one shot of the guy, I think she was in a different lab. Okay, that that would make sense. I guess it would make sense that there wouldn't be like a hypo spray in engineering or that lab. And... Oh, oh, that's a good point. That might have been a hypo spray. Oh, yeah, that's why okay. I assumed it was a uh, hypo spray, yeah. 
I I assumed it was some um like really high tech like computer dust blowing thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then once you said hypo spray, I was like, yeah, because why would they have dust things on secure parts of the ship in their own case? Right. So that could have been yeah, that could have been an emergency medical kit with a hypo spray, and she just used the spray part of the hypo spray to do her thing. Good point. Good job, Aaron. Yeah. Now I get it. Because no why would it be why would it be a dust a can of futuristic dust air? Like why would that be a thing? No, but that'd be awesome. Oh, and talking about um in their room, I want those bed sheets. I would take all of those hypoallergenic whatever bed sheets. <laughs> Hypoelastic whatever the heck. Yeah. I, 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 I want cool. a pillowcase. Hey, Think Geek, here's something you can sell. A pillowcase with that Starfleet insignia on it. Yeah, Boom. most definitely. Go. Definitely. They already sell, like, Star Trek uniform bedding. Yes, yeah, so just to, to go the whole route. Yeah. Go the whole nine yards. Why not? Right. Uh, so, moving on to the black alert. What did you think about the black alert? So, I think it's cool that they have a special alert. Yeah. I think it's weird that's called black alert. <laughs> that's that's my only uh take take from this. I mean, was okay. was when it goes to black alert, right? Yeah. And you see those things floating? I mean, and it's it becomes wet again. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it black? I I couldn't tell. I think it's just water. Just water. I think so, it's some water or moisture or some kind of effect uh, because it's in the room with the spores. And I think black alert is actually when they're in the process of jumping. Like it happens uh, okay. black alert and then it's it's done. So I feel that black alert is only when they're activating the drive. I see. I still don't like the name. I do. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you why. Okay, yep. we've had we've had yellow alert, we've had red alert. Those are all obvious. Voyager introduced us to blue alert, uh-huh. which was for atmospheric entry and preparations for landing. But now we've got black alert. And I like it because it feels like it's connected to the black badges. And who knows? This may be the only experimental ship that uses black alert. Mm-hmm. Like it's only for highly dangerous scientific endeavors that will put the ship in danger. And I like it. I like how it sounds. I like how all the lights dimmed almost to like a, uh, ultraviolet. I liked it. I really like the lighting that the ship use. And yeah, I feel it just somehow ties in with the black badges. It makes me feel like this is a special, highly classified endeavor. And we saw that because Burnham, Michael, was like, wait, what the hell is a black alert? And Tilly said, they didn't brief you? Then I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's just a highly classified protocol. And if you're not in the need to know, you don't need to know about it. Right. I think it's cool that they have uh, a special type of alert. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just being nitpicky. It, that's what it you is. Are. Yeah, yeah. Eric Dewey <laughs> says that it's interesting and new. 
I like that they have something special for when they're actually using the spore drive that is separate from other emergency alerts. I completely agree with them. I think it's, and it sounds cool. It looks cool. It's a cool new thing we can drool over. So, and then have our breath taken. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, why don't we talk about the spores a little bit? Since we sure, have, we've been talking about the the spore drive and the black alert that is issued when they're making these uh, these jumps. Yes. So. I mean, I'm not 100% sold on this. It's cool that we see something new, that they're trying new methods of propulsion that doesn't stop here. They also continue it with the Excelsior-class starships, a different type of propulsion system. Uh, right. And we and who knows? We didn't see we didn't see enough of the Excelsior. Maybe they had a black alert when they were activating their transwarp drive. Yeah, maybe. But we obviously know that the maybe fail or prove to be too dangerous since we've never seen it again. Yeah. So that's what I thought too. I thought, look, is this just another part of Starfleet's ongoing failures to develop some kind of faster than warp transwarp drive, just like the Excelsior. And someone actually asked Ted Sullivan on Twitter. He's one of the producers and writers. And he said, we will definitely learn that when asked about why Starfleet abandons the transwarp spores. So there is a story reason that they will explain of why we never see this come up again. And it would make sense because if this was technology developed during this wartime effort, and I know it's Stamets and Strahl's baby it's their work but at the same time if it proves too dangerous to fall into enemy hands starfleet is gonna bury that knowledge and i feel it becomes so high classified that no one except for the top brass would know about it and if they are declassified on it and know that of these really dangerous consequences. We already seen a consequence when it fails. Everyone on your ship dies. Right. That's pretty terrible in itself. And if they, and I feel like if they can't get that to work, then that alone would stop anyone from using this because Mm -hmm. if it fails, you're screwed. Like your entire ship is screwed. It's not unprecedented in Starfleet to have something so secret that only higher ups know about it uh, Starfleet captains and above we saw in Voyager with the Omega directive yes and we saw in Wrath of Khan the Genesis device right and we know Nicholas Meyer he's involved in Discovery as well so there are some tiebacks even to Wrath of Khan with Starfleet co-opting people's work and having these dangerous consequences. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't see the Genesis device or or see it mentioned, you know, or used in future series. There's a distinct parallel there because yes, it did work, but like McCoy said in that movie, it has the potential to be a planet killer. Right. And who would use that if it fell into the wrong hands and who's to say that Starfleet's hands are the right hands. Because we do have a whole admirals out there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Indeed, yeah. So already I feel like there's enough explanation there as to why we never see this again. But maybe something even worse happens in that we'll find out in this show to really solidify that, yeah, they're never going to use this again. Right. The only problem I have with the spores, and I know that Stamets made this point of physics or biology as physics or tying in physics and biology. and But I feel that spores, it's a little bit too, maybe it's a little bit too simplistic of an analogy or a device that they're using. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that this is just one big giant metaphor for quantum entanglement. Mm. And that's a concept that sure might not not a lot of people might get, but he was essentially describing quantum entanglement, mm-hmm. where you can have two things exist at the same time on a quantum level, and that's where you know we're doing real life experiments in quantum mechanics, where one photon of light is present in two places at the same time, and. That's essentially what this kind of spore drive would do. It would tap in to essentially a quantum network of, you know, these these lanes of highway. And, you know, they call it the mycelium network. And that just refers to the mycelium that fungi produce. It's essentially a big web of almost like roots in a way. Mm. And they're so intertangled and massive there's one, I guess there was one uh, mycelium network that they discovered that was something crazy. It was like 2,000 kilometers large or something. It was, it's potentially the largest organism on the planet. Oh, wow. And it's no secret that Paul Stamets in the show is named after a real uh, mycologist, Paul Stamets who we saw interviewed in After Trek. And I know he comes across as a little wacky mushroom hippie guy. eccentric, yeah. But he's done, he's like one of the pioneers in that science. And it is a science. Right. So to me, it's just, it's almost like a layman's way of explaining quantum entanglement. And to me, why couldn't you just say quantum entanglement? But who knows, maybe... There's a plot point with these specific types of spores, with the way that they're accessed. And what I liked about it, in a way, is that this is a new type of technobabble that we aren't even used to in Star Trek. Right. It's still technobabble, and that's what Star Trek does best. But it almost feels like now we're, we're getting into a biological realm that we really haven't seen before in Star Trek. And to me, that's a bit exciting. Right, that's pretty cool. Eric Dewey says that he loves this, not for the tech itself, but for the simple fact that we're using real, yes, theoretical, but still science as the basis of the tech. I always say that it's sci-fi, not fi-sci. The best sci-fi takes real science and just pushes it a step or two further. I dig it with a huge shovel. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, there, there'll there be a couple other things I mentioned later in the show, but speaking of, of Paul Stamets, we got Lieutenant Paul Stamets, and what did you think of his character, Aaron? 
So another eccentric character, like, similar to Tilly. But uh, in a different way. In a different way. Doesn't want to be on the front lines, and he doesn't seem to like Captain Lorca. Oh, he made that quite clear in the shuttle. The fact that he was so angry that Starfleet came in and took over him and his friends' work, best friends, and they stuck him on two different ships. So Paul Stamets, as a Starfleet character, he's more interested on the science aspect of Starfleet. He's ready to go out there and explore strange new worlds and develop new technology and for the betterment of the Federation. And he hates that it's been co-opted by Starfleet. And I think that's another great way to introduce this tension. It's military versus the science side of Starfleet. And even in the movies, they've said the newest movies, they've said that, you know, Starfleet is a peacekeeping armada, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, but it's mainly science-based because that's what the Federation is about. And we had, we even had one of the prisoners say that, wow, look at all these silver shirts. Wow, look at all these science people. And we've had one of the other characters, I think it was Saru that mentioned it, that there are over 300 science labs on the Discovery, and that's a record for any Starfleet mission. And so at its heart, the Discovery lives up to its namesake. It is a science vessel. It's not a war vessel. It just so happens that they've, that, that it's now being used to gear science for war. So I really liked Stamets. I um, did too. I liked him because I liked that his personality, well, I, I liked him and I didn't like him. I, I, I like him that he's got this huge chip on his shoulder, but we understand that's because he's mad at the research that they're doing to use it for militaristic purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's why he lashes out at the captain. He talks back to the captain. He doesn't want to be there because Starfleet has taken over his research. I think when he's in his element, when he's just doing pure research, he's probably the nicest guy on the planet. Right. And he's probably great. Again, this is just one side of him that we're seeing in the moment. And that's why I'm so excited for this ongoing storyline, because we don't know everyone's personalities right out the gate. They're not cookie cutter, like maybe what some of the past treks have been there's a chance to fully develop and analyze these characters and watch them grow over time. We haven't even met his romantic partner yet. We haven't met the doctor of the ship, another main character. So I feel like the whole show is going to be this gigantic onion, which we're just peeling back the layers of. And for right now, we're just seeing that superficial shell of Stamets. We're just seeing that hard ass because he doesn't want to do this work for Starfleet in a time of war. Right. I thought it was interesting how he called Michael Lurker. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, and it was it was definitely something that Strahl and him said because, mm-hmm. you know, Strahl mm-hmm. was like, oh, Lurker. Right. Like, I feel that 
maybe that was something that they grew up in science class and someone was peeking over their shoulder to get, you know, answers to a test or something. Yeah. That's what it feels like because it was really in between him and Straw. Right. Eric Dewey says that he's not a fan of him yet. He does see potential in the character to be someone who takes on Lorca at some point. Could be very interesting to find out where his breaking point is. And one thing I'm floating around is, what if the story comes full circle for Michael and she mutinies, but she's right? Because maybe Lorca has gone bat crazy towards the end of the series. Oh, mutinies again, you mean? And Yeah, I think she's like, well, what do I have to lose? I'm already prisoned for mutiny. Why don't I try mutiny again? But maybe this time the crew would agree with her. Oh, interesting. That, that's just my theory. So it might come full circle. That's very interesting because we see Saru kind of set up something, if that's the case, how he gives her that burn that you mentioned. Yes, where he said, unlike you, I'm going to do everything I can to protect my captain. Yeah. So, which is great. It's another point of conflict. Saru and Michael, who have worked together and have been friends for seven years, and if she is part of another mutiny, will he go against her, or will he say, actually, this time, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's what I love about this. That's why I love new Star Trek with an ongoing storyline because we're trying to predict what happens and we're coming up with all these theories. I love it. This is the best time to be a Star Trek fan right now. I agree. So why don't we talk about Captain Lorca and his menagerie? I love the fact that they're calling it a menagerie. Not officially because that was they coined that in After Trek. Right. But it's just a... Nice play on words to the original series episode. Indeed. I like Lorca. I think he's well acted by Jason Isaacs. I like that he's got this kind of almost North American Texas swagger. Like, it seemed to me that his accent was maybe a bit Southern. Because we all know Jason Isaacs, he's he's a, a British actor. Yeah. He's I've... got... An English accent. Actually watching a, a little interview with him, and he is doing a southern accent, and he wanted, oh, perfect. He wanted his catchphrase to be, get her done. But, I, I did hear that, yeah. Yeah, but someone else already has that catchphrase, so he couldn't use it. So I, I'm definitely getting a very Texas vibe from him, but at the same time, I'm like, what Texas family makes fortune cookies? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That was that was very interesting, I thought. Very out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, the fortune cookies. I was like, what is going on with this dude? And is he like... And they're not packaged, so is he playing around with these cookies? Does his triple shed on the cookies? What's going on here? Right. Does he replicate a new batch whenever he wants some more? I mean... Or, or or synthesize, you know. That's, oh, synthesize. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> so I, I definitely want to learn more about him, and that's a good thing. Like, he's mysterious uh-huh. enough, and he even mentions that he's mysterious. And that's due to his eye injury, where the light, he can't do sudden light changes 
quickly or else he risks, you know, permanent damage to his eye. So as you watch that scene, when she first enters his ready room, which I loved, I love that he's got a standing desk. He's very, it's, it's super bare bones in there. So I like that he's just in there to get work done. Mm -hmm. And I like that if you notice throughout the scene, the lights over time slowly raise to normal. Right. And it's super subtle. I thought it was a great detail. But I want to learn, did he get this fight in in that six-month time with the Klingons? Is that a recent development? Was he on the front lines? What happened there? It's more potential for a potential flashback or more uh, character development. Right. I like that he was intimidating right off the bat. This is unlike any captain we've seen before in Star Trek. And one of the big things about we saw his separate uh, menagerie, which is not his ready room. I, I saw a lot of people getting that confused. Mm. Uh, I, I, I tried to correct people because his ready room is right off the bridge. This menagerie, you saw that establishing shot. It's right. on the bottom of the ship yeah. in one of the science labs. It's a totally different room, guys. It's not connected. Right. So... I like that his uh, menagerie was uh, kind of like a house of horrors in a way. You had skeletons and skulls and dissected things. And this is another reason why I loved After Trek is because they can show you these behind the scenes. So through After Trek, it's confirmed that is a Gorn skeleton. Right. And they even talk about it in After Trek because they note, you know, the Gorn, that was something we saw in the original series 10 years later. So it doesn't mean that Lorca fought and killed a Gorn. It means he probably acquired it from some kind of alien bazaar or the black market or somehow he found he thought it interesting going shopping. I don't know. Yeah. One of the other things that was on... Uh, his desk, and I instantly recognized it in the episode. It was a Cardassian vole. Mm -hmm. And another thing we learned, the monster that he catches that was on the Glen, it's called a tardigrade. And that's usually one of those, like that little microscopic organism. It looks exactly looks like that, like that naked mole thing with the weird buzzsaw teeth. Yeah, they can survive in space. They're pretty hardy. Exactly. So this is just a screwed up enlarged version of that. The fact that they're calling it a tardigrade. So I'm wondering, did the spore drive create this thing? See, now that makes sense. One of my biggest questions was how did this thing get on the Glen? Yeah. And that makes more sense if if the spore drive affected this creature and made it grow. Yeah, it, it either affected it on the quantum level. And another thing I'm thinking, what if the spore drive, because we've had Jonathan Frake say that they're going to do a Mirror Universe episode on Discovery. What if somehow the spore drive is another portal into the mirror universe. Uh, interesting. So I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. But anyways, 
I, I love Lorca because he's so different than what we've seen before. I really like how Jason Isaacs is kicking ass on Twitter and taking down haters. Mm-hmm. So already the actor, the character, I really want to learn more. No, I agree. I, I'm not in love with the character. That's just because in my head I, I have a certain expectation for captains. Oh, sure. And he is definitely not that. Who he reminds me of is Captain Ransom, who we saw on Voyager. Yes. Uh, he's basically willing to do whatever it takes, and he doesn't care if he breaks any rules doing it. And that's what I get from Lorca. Mm. No, I, I definitely see the, the Captain Ransom connection, for sure. Yeah. And one of the other questions I have, why has no one asked him what that thing purring on his desk is? Maybe because they already know it's a Tribble. But they shouldn't know it's a Tribble. I don't think Tribbles are widely known, but I do think that they are known. Oh, okay. I just think it's interesting. Oh, I think it's interesting, too. Uh, again, it's he collects weird creatures... Maybe this is just another weird creature that he collects. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, there's a dissected one in his menagerie, but there's also a live one in his ready room, and it's not pregnant, it's not taking over the ship, so maybe he had a spayed and neutered Tribble. Oh, yeah, maybe he dissected one to figure out how to do it, and then then did it on the other one. Because we do know that Tribbles have very calming effects on human physiology. So maybe that's something for him is almost like a meditation in a way. Mm. And triples hate Klingons. They're in a war with the Klingons. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, so yeah, maybe he's just like, Hey, I know that Klingons hate these things. If they ever break into the ship, maybe I can throw this triple at one of the Klingons. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's maybe, Maybe there is a huge laboratory just overflowing with Tribbles on the Discovery. That That would be hilarious. And they're just waiting for the right moment to beam all these Tribbles over to an unexpecting Cleon ship. I love it. Yep. Episode 13. So Eric Dewey says this about Captain Lorca. Not the captain I was expecting, and that's awesome. He has the potential to be either the most badass captain we've ever seen or the biggest bag of dicks. <laughs> so, so colorful, uh, Eric, to wear a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> Perhaps both. Loved his collection room. I'm sure we'll get a little glimpse of all sorts of fun stuff in there throughout the series. All right. Now, let's quickly go over to some other Trek connections and callbacks before we get into the subspace channels and wrap up the episode. So, when Burnham does the spore drive travel, we see the Janus 6 colony. We see that, like that underground structure. And I, I did a series of tweets, which you liked, and it pretty much confirms it. And we see Starbase 11... Those similar spires, it's like spot on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see a couple other locations. I know Lorca mentions the Andorian moon, 
but we did not see an Endorian moon in there. Mm. I think he was just saying things to say them as she was traveling. But we did see a Preserver obelisk from the original series. I don't want to... I, I know he says Romulus and, and Romulan Senate, but they shouldn't know that, or they shouldn't know that it's Romulus. I, I think he was yes, just saying yeah. things to say things. Right. But I did, it's very recognizable that we did see Starbase 11 and the Janus 6 colony from Double in the Dark episode. So we did see that. Again, we saw Gorn, Skeleton, Cardassian Vol, Tribbles, and I'm freaking out because the Andorians are mentioned again in this show. The yeah. moons are mentioned. Uh, one of the prisoners or the prisoners joke about killing them and say that they're cold all over, not just uh, personality wise, but actually physically. So I thought that was great. But now I'm like, okay, you've mentioned Andorians like three times in this series in three episodes. Can we see an Andorian, please? Right. But it seems like they don't like the Andorians. No one seems to like the Andorians. It's always the negative. Klingons. The Klingons call them filthy. I think the prisoner did too. The the prisoner thought they were scum, but then again, she's a butthole. Well, like uh, uh, they're mem- murderous psychos. <laughs> yeah, Memory Alpha called her psycho. Well, the, he, here's the funny thing: when I was because I watched it with closed captioning, she that's that was her designation. They call her <laughs> psycho in the episode. Awesome. Well, I mean, they designate her like psycho. Yeah, the credits it says psycho. So yeah, what, what other callback did you like? So I liked when Burnham says that Amanda Grayson read her and Spock, Alice in Wonderland. Which ties to an animated series episode. What I hate is how we never hear about Cybok. I wonder if he, was he a rebellious teen at this time when Burnham was little? Here's the thing. I think because Sarek... Uh, did the nasty with a person that wasn't Amanda. Because wasn't <laughs> Cybok full Vulcan? He was full Vulcan, yes. So I think Cybok was conceived when maybe Sarek had his first Ponfar mm-hmm. and, with his betrothed. And obviously something wrong happened there because maybe Sarek didn't even raise Cybok. Maybe. So... Either something happened, they split. Either way, we know that Cybok was a half-brother to Spock. Right. So that means different mothers. Right. So that means I don't think they grew up in the same household, but I think Spock knew of him. Mm. So I'm not bothered with that, because why would Amanda... Well, I was going to say, why would Amanda raise the child of someone else? But it's just... (laughs) doing that with Michael. Right. But but I think maybe Cybok or Sarek's first marriage is something that maybe he never even brought up or talked about. Right. And I feel that was that would be something that Spock would be interested in, like, you know, maybe he dies a bit into his heritage and maybe he comes across a record of something. Hmm. But because him and his dad don't talk, he never questioned his dad about it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yes, that opens up a whole can of worms. But to me, 
I can compartmentalize and ration it out just through what I know about Star Trek. I don't think we need to mention Cybok because I don't think that's related to this part of the story. I don't even think well, Michael mean, grew up with Cybok. Yeah, I mean, you don't need it in here. It's not necessary at all. But I just, I find it odd that we never hear about him ever again. I thought I was hoping to hear about him in the Kelvin universe when uh, Vulcan was destroyed and we didn't, but it's it's all good. Or maybe, all good. He, or maybe he was destroyed with Vulcan. Uh, Who knows? Possibly. So why don't we jump in to our subspace channels and this week's question what are your first impressions of star trek discovery and will you keep watching these are a few answers that we've selected from various social media networks we posted this question to Uh, again thanks to everyone who answered and if we did not get to read your answer this time try again on our next subspace channels question so on facebook we had jerome connor who said only saw the first episode, a dark show with tone and lighting, with questionable morales, a lead character that does not know herself, Vulcans that are not pacifists, they kept shooting first, Cleons now have not been around for a hundred years, yet they destroyed the lead's home and parents, and the crew being a bunch of spear carriers... Add in the crazy camera angles and a stream service with reports of constant crashes, this Trekkie will pass. I think that's unfortunate because I didn't see the crew as a bunch of spear carriers. Like, we don't yeah. get that at all in in the first one. Everyone's ready to explore and do stuff. It's only Michael who's ready to go to war. Right, and Klingons, we haven't had formal relations with them in over 100 years but, but they been... even mention that there's been spotty attacks right. throughout the 100 years. There's been contact here and there. It's not like they went completely off the grid. It's just they formally haven't talked in over 100 years or did anything significant with the Klingons in that time since Enterprise, since they went all smooth forehead. And who knows? Right. Who knows what's going on with the Klingons? Right. That's something we'll have to find out. Indeed. But thank you, Jerome, for your answer. You'll never comment again because we'll be asking other questions. About discovery. Yeah, exactly. Next we have Carl. Carl! (laughs) Carl! Carl! Yeah. Who says, I watched both episodes. I subscribed to CBS when Star Trek was first announced about a year ago. Worried that price would shoot up on the premiere. As for the show... I'm a diehard Trek fan, and my favorite is TOS. However, saying that, I don't have an issue with the tech or the shifts being updated. Wow, someone with an open mind. How refreshing. (laughs) It needs to get new followers, and I understand that. I do have issues with changing aliens. So on that note, cool that there are many Klingons. Bad. None of them look even remotely close to what Cleons have transformed into over the timelines. Hope this could be fixed with the mentioned virus from other shows. Cool. New aliens and Daft Punk robot. Oh, side note, and I know you guys are talking about this when you talked about the trailer. That is not a robot because in the novelization, 
it is mentioned that that is a tactical helmet. Ah, very cool. It's a tactical display helmet that they use for these types of battle situations. And that's why you had also feedback, like fingertips, so that they could control and sense things faster. So that is a tactical 3D helmet. That you can see, you have full access to the tactical systems uh, on the ship, and you can basically see 360 degrees around the ship. Interesting. That I wish they explained that in, in the show. Me too. So, Carl continues, cool, really like the phaser, bad, seven years of zero chemistry after the first three minutes of the show. Oh, he must. He meets with the crew. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Finding out this was just backstory, and the real journey begins with episode three. In a nutshell, I have high hopes. I also enjoy Orville and consider it Star Trek light. You know what? I haven't even watched the Orville yet. But you know what? I really like the Orville. I would. But- I, I hate that the Orville is becoming like the hater, the Discovery haters rally cry. Like, oh, uh, well, it's the, well, if you want real Star Trek, watch <laughs> the Orville and watch it yeah. free on Fox. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but it looks like a 90 show because they don't have the amazing budget that Discovery does. But uh, uh, no, I, I feel you. I really like the show. I do not consider it a replacement for Star Trek, but it, no. it's really, I think it's really good. It's more sci-fi than comedy. And that's cool. And I'm going to watch it. I know I will. Yeah. And I just hate people using it as an either or thing. Well, I hate Discovery, so the Orville where it's at, or screw the Orville. I mean, it's Star Trek Discovery. You, newsflash, you can like both. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. There's room. There, the universe is big enough. Unless yes. you're a Star Wars fan, then uh, no. Wow. Alright, okay, so <laughs> uh, Eric Chung said, I hope that's how you pronounce your name, and I'm sorry if I did not pronounce that right. Uh, he said the first two episodes had a balance of terror vibe, except I wouldn't characterize Takumba as someone who shared mutual respect with Giorgio in that encounter. I dug the dialogue. It sounded like truck dialogue, but maybe a bit more realistic. And the banter was integrated a bit more organically than in Berman-era Trek, hmm. where they'd alternate technobabble with banter and fairly jarring swerves. Even J.J. Trek did this. The playfully sarcastic banter even reminded me a bit of the lab technicians in Fuller's Hannibal, or even the Spock McCoy or Odo Quark banter previously seen in Star Trek. The producers made hay of shredding the Roddenberry rule bearing conflict between officers, but I didn't see anything out of bounds of previous Trek shows. My interpretation has always been that officers can show conflict as long as they share the same goals and give each other the benefit of the doubt. That said, that benefit has not been granted to Michael Burnham just yet. I'm interested in how she achieves redemption. The tone felt like Star Trek, especially considering exactly how deliberately they contemplated taking action. I am intrigued. 
That was a very well done comment. It was. Thank you, fellow Eric. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I agree with pretty much everything you've said. Yeah. Next, we have Corey. I think the two episodes really need to be watched together, and together they make an excellent pilot. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's light years beyond other pilots like Farpoint. I loved it. I can't wait to see more. Also, I don't know why people keep pitting against the Orville. You can just watch both. More sci-fi. Yes, please. Yes, thank you, Corey. Thank you. And I guess I'm reading all the Eric comments tonight because we had Eric Larson Kimbrow Jr. who said... It felt like Trek-inspired generic sci-fi as opposed to being Star Trek. The fact it is behind a paywall is idiotic and annoying. The complete disregard for the fan base is insulting. And finally, the fact that the showrunners and actors have chosen to use this platform to attack people that do not share their political ideologies is not unforgivable. Yes, Trek has always dealt with politics. It did so, however, without being a pit bull. The only thing I enjoyed was the special effects. Ryan was bad. Pacing was bad. Acting was very stiff and atonal, much like me reading this comment, because I don't agree with any of this. Right. Um, Neither do I. Unfortunately, everyone has the right to their own opinion, even if we don't agree. And this I definitely don't agree with. No. And I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the cast photo when they were all at someone's place watching the premiere and they took a knee, just like the protesters are doing against cop violence and against the administration. So he's turning this into a big political thing. I'm sorry, but have you watched Star Trek before? It's always been a bit political and it's always leaned a bit to the left. So the whole like, oh, it's insulting and blah, blah, blah. Sorry, Star Trek has always dealt with social and political issues. Get used to it. If you don't like it, don't watch it. And I hate getting on a rant, but I, I just I just I hate that I hate that attitude where it's like, oh, why so much you know, social justice warriors in Star Trek? Have you watched Star Trek? Yeah. Ever? Right, and we talked about that in our last episode as well. And every time it's brought up in a comment, I'll comment on it, so (laughs) there you go. Yeah, and I think people need to, you know, just accept the paywall, CBS All Access, accept it, stop crying about it. It's already happened, they're making 15 episodes, it's already going to be on there, it's on Netflix, and Netflix paid for 60% of the series, Get over it. That's why the show looks amazing. It's $8 million an episode. You're not going to get that on Fox with the Orville, but I'm not making this an Orville versus Discovery thing. It's just, this is the quality that you can expect from a streaming show of any kind. Well, we know what puts Eric's quantum state into flux this week. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to our next comment with Sarah Beth. I wasn't impressed with the pilot, but I know pilot episodes tend to be hit or miss. I would keep watching and give it more of a chance if it was more accessible than CBS All Access, but I think you already covered that topic. If it goes broadcast or gets added to Netflix, I'll look it up. For now, I'm very happy with The Orville so far. All right. Uh, William Smith said, It was outstanding. 
easily recognizable as Star Trek, yet bold and epic, like the television of today. Wow, someone who gets it. (laughs) Yes, William has his own podcast, Star Trek podcast. Go check it out. He actually has a one dedicated to Star Trek Discovery. I think it's called Discovering Trek. So That sounds right. Go and check that out. So next on Google Plus, we have Temporary Speed Sorry. <laughs> temporary... temporary Super Speedster. Yes. Who says I'm already hooked? Chris Clark said it was absolutely gorgeous. The cinematography was incredible, but it has a massive fundamental issues. The level of technology makes absolutely no sense in universe. These ships seem more advanced than the Enterprise D, but take place before Kirk? Also, following a single character instead of one ship seems like an interesting idea, but so far all she's done is nearly kill herself, commit treason, nearly start a war and get her captain killed, and martyr a Klingon. It seems that we're following the F-up of the Federation so far. Also, subspace Vulcan telepathy isn't a thing. I can forgive it. It's it's Katra. Yeah, we Who knows? And, and we kind of covered it in our last episode. So. so moving on. Moving on to Rex Rivers. Thank you, Star Trek Discovery, for letting me forget all my troubles for an hour and a half. Travis Linton said, The only major complaints I have are purely cosmetic, and that's not enough for me to dislike the show. Looking forward to next week's smiley face. Oh, yeah. Nice. And next we have Daniel Ball, who says, I didn't even take their lore and sub for a trial to see the second half. The first hour was enough to convince me this was a show not worth the time. And that is in spite of absolutely gorgeous special effects and one of the most beautiful women on television. They made Cleons boring. It's kind of an amazing accomplishment right there. But that could have been forgiven, except the main character. The actress is lovely. She's got chops. Her character is in effing train wreck and not in the good fun way. She actually strains credibility long before she commits mutiny and betrays the close-ish friend. It's like she bought her commission 18th century style. I don't think the Klingons were boring. In fact, I I think it made them more interesting. We're adding a new layer than just, Rawr, I'm a Klingon and I fight for honor. Fight me. Yeah, they're definitely more Which we've seen. Yeah. Oh, and another uh, interesting, just to sidetrack a little bit, an interesting theory I've heard is, you know, Volk, the albino Klingon? Yes. What if he's the same person as the albino in Deep Space Nine when Kor and the Klingons were searching for the Sword of Kalos. I also heard that. That would make him incredibly old, but Klingons are old. But we saw Kor that's and true. the original series Klingons live to that time. That That's very true. And it would make sense if the House of Kor, which we saw, he hated the albino when he first saw him. So, I really hope that's the case, because that would be an amazing truck connection. That, I mean, that would be very interesting uh, Interesting to see. But we can pretty much say that we don't agree with Daniel, and Daniel might want to give it a chance. 
I hope people do give it a chance. And finally on Instagram, we have Bob Matt 343 who said, very promising, loved every minute. The Klingons are fantastic. I'll be watching for sure. So, okay, it's no doubt that Star Trek Discovery is very polarizing among Star Trek fans. You can look in the comments of any Facebook thing that they post. It's ridiculous. So That's why I don't read any comments really anymore. <laughs> okay. But, Aaron, finally, what puts your quantum state into flux this week? So this week I was <laughs> doing what I said I don't do. I was reading a comment that a person was upset that they couldn't watch the third episode of Discovery with their child because it was too scary for them. These episodes do carry a rating of TVM for Mature for a reason. Yeah. I understand that this might be an issue for some people, but this is about war with the Klingons. If you are concerned, I would suggest watching the episodes before deciding... On an episode-by-episode basis, if the episode is suitable for your child. Yeah, it's just like anything. You know, watch the show with your kids. See if it's going to be bad for them, or if it's going to be something sensitive that you'll have to explain to your child. And this is the thing. We've already confirmed that Lieutenant Stemmets is going to be gay, Mm-hmm. And that he'll have a gay romantic partner who is also, newsflash, gay. So right. if you don't want to talk to your kids about that topic, I'm sorry, then maybe they shouldn't be watching Star Trek Discovery. It's TVMA. At the very least, it's TV14. We had Michael swear in this episode. Right. And, and obviously we have heard Star Trek characters swear before very rarely but it has happened and to me that's all just pg-14 yeah i watched star trek when i was five but i didn't comprehend most of the issues until i was much older because for me as a kid star trek was bang whiz warpy effects shooting the phasers cool aliens yeah and then it was only when I grew up and rewatched these episodes where I really dove into the heavier, mature subjects. Right. So it's okay if you can't watch Star Trek Discovery with your kids yet, but maybe introduce it to them when they're older and can handle the imagery or the topics that they deal with. So you either watch it with them and have a discussion with your child or you wait for them to mature a bit where they'll really understand the episode. And I know Star Trek is a family thing, but Deep Space Nine dealt with war. Nog got his leg blown off. Like, Star Trek has dealt with issues before. This isn't some new fangled thing. I would say I'm not even going to introduce my kids to actually watching Star Trek until maybe they're a little older to appreciate it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they'll obviously see that it's around and go, oh, daddy, what's all this stuff? And, yeah, there'll be all of that. But, yeah, I'm certainly not going to show my nine-year-old Star Trek Discovery, not with the the brutal imagery that we saw of the Glenn's crew. Right. But you know what? My If I had a teenager, yeah, I'd say, okay, this is perfectly fine for them to watch. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, just take it episode by episode, and it's it's your job as a parent to censor what you right. don't want them to see. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, thank you everyone for listening this week, Eric. If we were to look for you on the internet, how would we find you? I am all over online at TrekkieB47. You can also catch my Power Rangers podcast, which is also on the Four-Eyed Radio Network at rangercommand.com or everywhere is pretty much Ranger Command PH. You can search for us there. But yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch with me to talk about Star Trek, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all those social media platforms. So if you want to get at me and argue any points with me or have a nice civil discussion about Star Trek Discovery, I am more than open to that. Awesome. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Nova Charter. So once again, thank you all for listening. Live long and prosper. Care, kitty, kitty. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com.